0: all righty we are live episode 40 uh with brooke harris the founder and ceo of good milk one of my favorite local la companies plant-based going after the alt milk alt dairy category huge consumer of your product i've got uh, some of your Alrighty, we are live, episode forty, uh, with Brooke Harris, the founder and CEO of Good Milk, one of my favorite local LA companies, plant-based, going after the alt milk, alt dairy category. Huge consumer of your product. I've got uh, some of your newer frozen product in my freezer. Um, but Brooke, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, so happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Um of course of course well i'd love to dive right into it um you know you you've really been such an early mover and very influential you've been building this company for a little while now um, and you know had such great vision to uh really reinvent and rethink you know what's happening in the dairy industry but can you just tell us a little bit about you know where are you from and how you've really started this journey of of building good milk
1: Absolutely. I, I love to share my story because I think that it's it's so basic that it gives it can, it gives anyone hope that you don't have to, you know, come for money or have any connections um, to start a business and pursue your dreams. So I basically the, the odd thing is I grew up on a dairy farm in a dairy yeah. town in the middle of nowhere in New York State. Might as well be anywhere else in the country. Um you know, I say I'm from New York, and people always think New York City, and it's it's just nothing like that. Higher population of cows than than humans. Um, you know, became a vegetarian at the age of 12, and um, that was just like probably the only vegetarian in the entire county. And It was just the wildest thing. My family's all hunters. Um, you know, big big time meat eaters. Obviously, dairy consumers. Like we grew up with my grandpa bringing buckets of milk straight from the the, the barn, which was you know. 500 yards away. Were
0: were you like perceived as being crazy or were they like I can't believe they like offended like what was you know that's pretty intense.
1: Yeah it was you know it started off thinking that it was going to be a fad but one of the reasons I fell into vegetarianism at that age is because I was around so many animals you know beyond all of the cows the dairy cows on the farm we had horses and You know, dogs and cats and and there were goats and they're just around these animals and you fall in love with them. And when, as a kid, I started to realize where the meat was coming from, that's why I became vegetarian. Um, You know, I just loved animals so much. So even to this day, um, my family calls it a diet. Um, you know, my mom and sister have kind of, um, smartened up and have started incorporating a lot more plant food into their lives, but it's still like holiday dinners. Like, Oh, Brooks Brooks still on her diet. Um, so it is what it is, but whenever one of them don't feel good, they come to me for the home remedies and how to fix it. Um. So that was, you know, at a really young age, was still vegetarian, but was still drinking milk, but never liked it. I don't know if you grew up like this, um, but our parents made us, and this was a big thing where I grew up, um, you had to have a glass of milk with dinner. Um, and wow. couldn't, you couldn't with get from the table until you had your glass of milk. So. I never quite figured it out that I should just like drink it right away while it's cold. I would always wait until the end of dinner and just like plug my nose and chug the glass down because I couldn't stand it. And then it was like warm milk by the end. It, it was <laughs> it was pretty awful. So um, I went off to college and I went to San Francisco for college. And my freshman year, I wrote a 20-page paper on why um, why soy milk was better than dairy milk. And obviously, you know, almond wasn't really a thing then. Obviously, oat was, wasn't was at all. Um, and soy was kind of the thing. And I sent it to my mom and she was like, don't you dare ever tell your grandfather that you even wrote this paper. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but that's when I learned a lot more about, you know, different farming practices and the, the processing and things they have to do to get milk to a place where it is shelf-stable and can be consumed by humans and then the fortification of vitamins and what that actually does to the human body. Um, And so that was kind of my journey of actually starting to learn about plant-based and why it could be potentially better, better or not better. Um, And I became vegan, full vegan that year. Um, And I was living in San Francisco, so you can imagine much better options than than where I grew up. Um, which, which, by the way, is like right outside of Buffalo, New York. So you have kind of reference. Um, and just started to really learn more and more about the nutritional aspects of it. Um, I went to school for film. I wanted to to write, but more do like development and producing. Um, and so I moved out to L.A. Um, and got a job in the film industry. And, you know, you know that schedule is... I mean, LA schedules are intense anyway, but um, working in the film industry, it was like, you know, 7 a.m. to to 8 or 9 p.m. You're eating in the car, grabbing what you can, like, you know, I was vegetarian or vegan, but I was like shooting five-hour energies, just like trying to stay awake while I was driving from the West Side to Hollywood every day. Um, so no surprise, I, I got sick, um, got sick with some major digestive issues, spent a year kind of trying to figure it out on my own, and then another year going to all these doctors, um, got every exploratory thing done that you can imagine, we won't go into the, the grimy details of it, but at the end of it came out with with pretty much no real diagnosis other than, okay, you have IBS and you have this, um, this is what it is for the rest of your life, you're going to be terrified to eat, and then you know from one end of the spectrum to the other and not have any control. Um, which is a pretty, um, you know, I don't want to use the word devastating cause it's not a cancer diagnosis, but it, it's pretty intense to have, you know, when we, we now know how much our gut controls the rest of our, our body and to feel like you don't have control of that is, is a pretty scary thing. Um, so in another very LA moment was hiking at Runyon Canyon, like a week or two later with a girlfriend she was talking about going on a cleanse and so we were like just giving each other some some thoughts back and forth and a woman turns around says to us like oh you girls are giving each other really good advice turns out she's a holistic nutritionist um never had even heard of a holistic nutritionist at that point booked in a meeting with her and within 45 minutes in the meeting she was like cool this is what's going on and what you're going to do is you're going to cut out all the processed food you're eating and i was like no I think you missed it I'm, I'm plant-based <laughs> like I, I'm healthy like I'm eating healthy foods they're all vegan they're all plant-based and she was like okay go home take a look at all the packages of food that you're eating take a look at the ingredients and then tell me if you think they're they're not processed and they're good for you and so I did that and like you know not a huge surprise that the chicken nuggets and burgers and you know sausages that were, were made of a bunch of processed foods. Um, but when I flipped over the carton of almond milk, um, I, I was really surprised. I was surprised, one, I saw the ingredients and was like, whoa, there's like a bunch of stuff that I have no idea what the heck it is. And when you look at the nutrition panel, as a vegan, I knew to eat almonds and nuts because they were high protein, high fat. And when you look at the nutrition panel, there's no protein and, and no fat. So that didn't make any sense. And disappointed in the fact that I never I thought I was educated and I never thought to look. I just believed marketing that, hey, this is better for you. Um, so, you know, plant-based milk is, a, especially if you're a vegan, but for a lot of people, dairy or some kind of dairy replacement is a, is a staple in their lives. It's not like it's chips or something that you could go without. Um, you know, I was having plant-based milk with three of my meals a day. So I started, I Googled how to make homemade plant-based milk um plant-based almond milk and I made almond milk for myself and was like whoa forget like I don't even care about the nutritional pieces this is delicious um it's an incredibly different experience as you know um the uh, the stuff that I was getting at the store didn't even taste food compared to what I was eating so started making it for myself quickly realized have you, have you ever made homemade plant-based milk yourself
0: Yes, it's it's night and day. I mean, it's and, and, and it, there's, it's funny because I see so many different parallels between, you know, how we were looking at plant based ice creams that, you know, I'm not going to drop any of the brands names, but I'm sure you could compare. You're like, wow, there were these companies that blossomed in the 90s and early 2000s that were the healthy plant based soy almond alternative and then you start to look at forty plus ingredients, thirty plus ingredients, stabilizers, and same thing happened in ice cream. By the way, it's usually a lot of the same companies, actually. Um, and you're just blown away by the amount of sugar. And that's that's the thing I, I notice now is people will say they're plant based, but then you know they're chomping on three Impossible burgers uh, in, in three days, and it's not not nothing against Impossible, but you know it's it's about balance and finding the right. Uh, Plant based foods. So,
1: I mean, it's incredibly confusing. i you know, it's like a journey that I went on. I thought of it, I, I was educated. Um, it, and it's got, I feel like it's gotten more confusing because there's all this buzz around things. You're buying things like an Impossible or, you know, beyond- some of our, yeah, beyond some of our competitors like an Oatly, a lot of people are trying them for the first time in cafes or restaurants. So, you're not seeing the, the packaging you're not looking at the ingredients and all you know like hey this is plant-based it's supposed to be a better option than the other things on the menu and like oh it tastes kind of good it steams well with my coffee like cool this is a good thing and then you continue on and just have no idea that the second ingredient is canola oil or you know in the the burgers gluten and gmos um so it's very confusing but i think that i would guess that we're on the same page in there is, it's happening now, but there absolutely is going to be this massive wave of, you know, I, I hate even the term better for you because I, I don't even think that's good enough. Um, I think um, we, we use the term a lot best in class. Um, you know, better for you means maybe one or two better ingredients. And then there's what I found. There's still a bunch of other junk in it. Um, I feel like
0: it's like, a, I like to say like, it's the real food movement. Like it's actually real food, uh, yes. not junk stabilizers, crap.
1: Yes. And what what our, both of our companies are doing is proving like it, it can be done. And it can be done at scale. And it can be done in a really successful, delicious way. And I think that's for ice cream. I can't tell you how many times I've first, let me tell you how many times I've stood um, before Dream Pops stood in front of the ice cream section at the grocery store for literally 15 minutes, just looking, flipping over every package, like hoping one of these times there was going to be something better and walking away w- w- with empty hands because there just wasn't. Uh, As a
0: consumer, what's your big, is it gum stabilizers is it sugar? What's the biggest thing that are in some of these plant-based products? I'm super curious because we definitely have the same mindset here. So what pops out to you?
1: Yeah, it's the same as as what you're seeing in ice cream, gums, natural flavoring, um, the stabilizers, processed sugar, or, you know, I'm not really a fan of fake sugar either. We use dates. Personally, in my home, I use maple syrup or honey or dates. Um, um, Oils now, you know, before oat milk, that wasn't necessarily a thing, but now these oat milks are out with canola oil and sunflower oil. Um, You know, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to have canola oil I want to have like something fried and delicious right. um, I don't want to have it in my morning coffee uh-huh. um, so really kind of what you hit on for me personally when I eat and and that translates into our products I look for things that only have real real food ingredients and I'm not perfect like you know I have pizza every Friday like um <laughs> but I healthier version of pizza but it still might have some weird stuff but my staples and the things that I'm eating day to day and you know feeding my family are real food clean ingredient and when I make a choice to have something that isn't I'm aware that I'm making that choice and I think that's the piece that's really important um, is being aware knowing how it's going to impact or not impact your body um, and being okay with that decision
0: and I, I don't like, I feel like there's definitely this movement of people who are really extreme. I'm not extreme either. Like when I'm going to indulge or whatever it is, if I'm going to eat a Jenny's, you know, go eat some dairy ice cream. It's, it's a great product, but it's, you know, I just personally, I'm like definitely lactose intolerant um, and, you know, have to have to be really mindful and thoughtful on that. Um, so let's, I'd love to hear. So amazing mission and vision. How did you end up going from? Uh, you know exploring holistic nutrition holistic medicine f- really focusing on your nutrition to launching good milk and I know there have been you've, you guys have been across category you've tried you know you have a number of different products in the market but would love to hear that that spark that epiphany and when you went all in
1: yeah so as I was making it for myself loving it my you know One thing, my, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, you know, I'd make a cord of it and he'd stand at the refrigerator door and chug it down in one sitting. And then I was like, cool, now it's going to take me two more (laughs) days, two (laughs) days to make more of that. Um, and so I realized it's one, it's, it's expensive to make on your own. It's really messy. Um, it takes a bunch of time. It's kind of a pain in the butt. And so anyone who is doing anything in life probably isn't gonna have time for that, especially if you have a family. Um, but I thought maybe there was enough people in the community, especially in LA, that would be interested in a fresh homemade milk. So I started um, at the farmer's market in Mar Vista. Super small time, showed up, you, you know our, our glass quart bottles. So we were making a fresh product then that has five day shelf life. Showed up with those bottles, selling them for $20 each. Um, which is <laughs> 10x the price of Trader Joe's almond milk. Um, but the great thing at the farmer's market, could um, see people. And so this time people just it, they fell in love. Um, you know, I had that moment, like I'll I'll never forget that feeling of panic. Um, it, it, when the market, the first day I was there, the market opened about five minutes by, And I just had like a holy shit moment where I was like, oh my God. Does anyone care? Like I'm doing organic sprouted um, almond milk, homemade almond milk in glass bottles. Does anyone give a shit? Like I'm super passionate about this, but does anyone else for $20 a bottle? And we sold out within an hour that first day. And every week I would bring back more and more and we'd sell out. People would take my personal phone number and text me the night before, ask me to hold milk for them. Like it, it, it became a thing. Um, and we, we saw some great success at the farmer's market. And you can imagine just learned a ton from really interacting with our, our customers. Um, and looking back, I, I kind of miss those days. It was like just really fun and such a learning experience. And the real joy, you know, as a founder, like getting that instant gratification of seeing someone try your product and love it right away. Like there's there's nothing like that. Um,
0: First sale, I mean, yeah, it's it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, so through the farmer's market, um, Blue Bottle actually reached out to us. I um, I don't usually admit this publicly, but I I don't drink coffee. So <laughs> I didn't actually know who Blue Bottle was. Um, I didn't know anything about like third wave specialty um, and they asked to create a barista blend for them. Um, and so we, did. we figured out what that meant, did a couple tests, created this really great barista blend that, is, that essentially just really comments the coffee like whole dairy would. Um, you know, steams, foams really beautifully. And was this experience that's completely different from any other plant-based milk latte out there. And started working with them. You know, they rapidly started opening locations in um, SoCal. And I just went and started door knocking on other coffee shop doors. And our one rule still when um, in a sales meeting and sampling is that you do not leave until they take, they steam up the milk and taste it with their, Um, because that's always, that's the moment, you know, that's like the aha moment where they're like, okay, this is, this is different. We've had baristas accuse us of it actually being dairy because it's, it's so hard to tell the difference in the way it works. So um, we got some great traction there, but still had one major problem, which was we were serving a fresh product with a five day shelf life. I mean, early days, i I was the delivery girl also. And so I had a jetta, a silver jetta at the time, and just had would pack it up with these massive coolers and deliver it all around to all the different coffee shops. And when I'd get to Blue Bottle on Abbott Kinney, Someone would like someone in line because there's always a line at that blue bottle would run and help me pull it out of my it would see me struggling help me pull it out of my um, trunk and I'd pull this like you know crickety old like you know igloo cool like these so were not nice coolers um, usually one of the wheels was broken so it's making like a really obnoxious noise yeah. I'd pull it up up Abbott Kinney into Blue Bottle and the the um whole line would cheer because they knew that I was the almond milk girl dropping off.
0: <laughs> um
1: That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. Um other than like how many stops were
0: you making that? And was this like 2012, 13,
1: No, like, so this was like I guess it would have been like 2016, 17. Um It was a lot, so I'd obviously still had to. This was the phase where I was able to get out of the kitchen and had a team actually making the product, Um, but I still had to do all the other things. Like I was still the salesperson and customer service, and the one you know standing at the farmers market selling. So I would have to, I'd have to leave the kitchen with a car packed by like five a.m. and would have to finish by like nine thirty in order to get on with the rest of my day. Um, we would deliver twice a week to places, you know, I had maybe, I don't remember then it was like quite a few and maybe then we had someone helping to, we had east side and west side, but, um, it was a really intense time and looking back, I'm just like, how the heck did I do that? But you know how it is early days. You just. You just don't I have mean, a choice. I
0: literally would like fill my car with dry ice coolers. <laughs> I almost suffocated a few times. <laughs> killed saying, myself.
1: That's so dangerous.
0: Uh, so dangerous. If, if anyone is ever driving <laughs> with dry ice, roll your windows down. You can actually kill yourself. So I like had a moment where I was driving through the hills and like, anyway, almost crashed. Um, but yeah, no, I guess here's, here's a question for you, Brooke. Like one of the biggest challenges and we're, you know, in the same uh, location um, for manufacturing, but 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 the question is, how do people in the early stages balance having to manufacture the product, running around sales, finance, accounting? Any tips in that point? Because I look back to it and I'm like, man, I was trying to wear every single hat, and I wish I would have outsourced or delegated a little bit better earlier on.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know in the beginning. It's very to to delegate your baby and you also are still figuring it out as you go um, oh, yeah. you know I, I think whenever I talk to someone and think back about those days it's like this is why I think in the food industry especially you have to be unless you have a ton of funding behind you and maybe you're like a fourth time founder and just jumping on a trend it's a different story. but you have to be so passionate about what you're doing because that's what drives you to Figure all of those things out and do them all at the same time. You know, we just brought someone internally on for finance um, a little over a year ago and it was the absolute best hire. I realized how bad I was doing at it or how much I hated it. We had an outsourced team, but I was managing them. um, And it's just saved so much of my time. I wish I would have done it earlier, but you have to do those things when you can afford them, unfortunately. So you just kind of fake it till you make it.
0: I do think it's important to like, playing every role, then you know how to hire for it versus, you know, um, thank goodness we didn't have access to capital in the early days, I would have wasted it. I wouldn't have known what to spend it on, right? Um,
1: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. My personality type is I like to know a little bit about a lot of things, so it feels good to me to like have an understanding of each department but not necessarily be deep in the details. And then also too, when your team's complaining or having a tough day or thinking that they're overworked. You can be like, dude, I've been there. I know, I know yeah. how you're feeling. Um, wow. and if I can do it, you can do it.
0: No question. Okay. So back to blue bottle making deliveries to cafes, what like 50, hundred, 200, 400, where, how many cafes were you guys at in that time?
1: Yeah. Once we had about 50 under our belt, 50 doors in our belt, I was like, okay, We're onto something. Um, These cafes love it. Um, You know, also through that B two B channel, you go through great volumes. So I could stand at the farmers market all day, and we were doing great, selling a lot. But then you go to a cafe, and you can sell, you know, fifty or more gallons a week. It's like, okay, this this makes a little more sense than standing at the farmers market. Um, But again, we were selling this fresh product, and so I said, okay, I think we're onto something here. But how do we scale it? I'm not gonna open up kitchens in every major city to sell a fresh product. Um, How do I scale this liquid? Keep the liquid exactly the same, keep the nutritional profile the same, um, but we have to extend the shelf life in order to scale. Um, Did a bunch of research on a bunch of stuff, started looking into freezing, um, and then went down the rabbit hole in in blast freezing or flash freezing um, and learned just about how that really protects the nutritional value, how it doesn't add you know ice crystals, all of the things. And luckily, I had um, a girlfriend who had an, an ice cream shop at the time. Do you remember Kippy's, um, the coconut yeah. ice cream shop?
0: Yep. Um,
1: which is basically what I was living off of early days, also because she would give me free ice cream. <laughs> so I was living off of ice cream and almond milk. Um, but she would let me go in after hours and test on her blast freezer. Um, and I was testing in, you know, I would take like coconut water and and drink that and and use those containers to test in because um, I had no idea what kind of packaging I was going to put it in. Um, and we would test it, you know, take a few days thought out, do different things with it, send it to people to taste and. And it worked. Um, and so that's when we first, and I, I had conversations with Blue Bottle and some of other teams and had them try it and, you know, steam it and make sure the end product was still good and talk through the logistics of actually the operational piece of it in a cafe, because I had never worked in a cafe. Um, and there was this like strong theory that it was going to work. Um, and that's when I did, that's when we did our first fundraise and launched our frozen concentrates um, in our B2B channel in June 2018.
0: Amazing, and so that business started to really work. Where did you sell those frozen concentrates originally? And you're still doing food service, right? While this yeah. is growing, up. yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Food service is a very important channel to us. Um, you know, I, I call it B two B. So just in case it comes up again, yeah. um, we, I mean, got my first meeting um, walking into one of our current partners. One, a for early meetings were with a distributor because we were like, whoa, we can finally this time we were self distributing. We can finally, and it had grown past me distributing, being the one distributing. Um, but it was like cool. We can finally get a distributor because we have a shelf life. Um, so went to. I remember like the first few days, it was a distributor we went to, and then um, uh, one of our current partners, and they both looked at me like I was the craziest person they'd ever seen. <laughs> um, you know, walking in with these bricks of frozen almond milk, being like, "This is game changer. This is going to be."
0: Do you have them in pouches, or do they like bricks.
1: No, we have them in pouches, but they're so the bricks that you got are are small. Those are direct to consumer ones. The the B2B ones are, are much larger. So they do kind of look like these big bricks of frozen um, plant-based milk. And I was I was just so gung-ho. Like I saw it. I, I saw the vision. I mean the the day the packaging came in, I like cried in front of my team, which is not I'm not a super emotional person. <laughs> and I just like saw it I (laughs) you know and my vision is still not not being fully seen yet but um they thought I was crazy until we did the process and made it up and they tasted and they were like whoa this tastes exactly like the fresh product that you've been delivering the steps you know are a little different but maybe it'll work um and we got some some of our partners on board and then we got some new within a few months got some new bigger partners because they actually liked the logistics of it they liked that they took up way less space they liked the sustainability of it that it was way less packaging and because we were using so much less packaging we were able to drop the price quite a bit so we were really competitive um, in that channel and um once we saw that channel taking off it was kind of like november of that year they were like Cool. This is this is gonna work. Um, that's when we launched. Um, we decided we were gonna launch direct to consumer and launched it like February. You know, I say launch. We put we made direct to consumer products and put them up on our website, right. um, and we launched that like February of twenty
0: nineteen. And we went right along the same time when the ready to drink powders were hitting market.
1: So those have been quite a journey. Um, that was what I thought was gonna be, and I still believe is a genius idea, but I had no idea um, the work it would take to get there. So we have these frozen products, amazing. However, you know, selfishly, I still couldn't have my, my product with me when I traveled um, or just on the go, or if I had to go to a coffee shop or something that didn't have the, our product, Like there was no way I was having anything else, so.
0: Let's just take a step back. Number one, food service for a product like yours, Tiny. Your shelf life is five, six days. I don't know how many 12, two weeks maybe. Um, yeah. Frozen comes with really expensive frozen shipping costs. You know, potential for it to get lost in the mail. Problems. Not easy to transport. Expensive. So obviously, like, let's think the next logical solution: ready to drink, dry powder, shelf stable, right?
1: Well, and back to the frozen, You know, you don't know what you don't know. I think I told you this that when we were thinking about shipping frozen direct to consumer we ordered some dream pops and got the package in the mail and we're like cool they figured it out we can we can oh, figure yeah. it. <laughs> you think that <laughs> so um, you know you looked like you guys had it figured out and we we're like cool they're they're doing it we I
0: can do while i it together <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and then we realized what a journey it is we obviously have right. it to figured out now and had to quickly um, and through the pandemic it's been such a blessing but um, yeah, not the easiest thing to to ship. Um, so. By the way,
0: it's starting to... It, they're really unique. I don't know if you've seen Cometeer Coffee. Like, there's some really interesting frozen D2C things coming. I think yeah. last mile delivery for frozen like, is is opening those channels up. But there's some really cool frozen D2C innovations still humming. But anyway, sorry yeah. to interrupt.
1: I agree. Um, but the powder, yeah, seems like it was going to be an amazing solution. Shelf stable. We knew that the process we could process the powder in a way that didn't mess with the nutritional value. We could keep, thought we could keep our ingredients, um, and it would be essentially a, f- a fresh product turned into a powder. So started the R and D on it. Turns out it's really difficult to turn a high protein, high fat liquid into a powder without adding multidextrin or some kind of other weird filler, or you know, adding- of-
0: or stale, or like I don't really know much of the science there, but.
1: just the the processes. So think if you think about the main processes that you use are spray drying and and freeze drying, and I won't get into the details. I know way more about this than anyone ever needs to know. But it basically has to go through some kind of apparatus, one droplet at a time. And the droplet hits it with with heat or cold temperature, cold enough temperatures that actually feel like heat, which I'm sure you know a bit about. Um, And and turns it into a powder. But when there's fat and protein, like, and water versus like water, the water molecule being on the outside, it turns it into an oil instead of a powder. Got it. <laughs> um, so we spent a year doing R and D just to figure out how to get that into a powder without adding weird things. Had some breakthroughs, learned, took some learnings from our frozen product, um, and it worked. Um, but we could only scale it to a certain degree. Um, and we knew that at that time and we're like, cool, we'll just figure the rest of it out later. Let's get it on the market. See how people even react, Yep. put it on the market. It went way, way better than we expected. (laughs) Um, and, um, to the point where the past year we've only been able to supply, like we don't market it. We don't really talk about it a ton. We've only been able to supply the current customer base that knows about it. So, um, this past year, we decided to really invest, it's seeing that we were we were gonna go direct to consumer heavy a bit sooner than we had planned. We said, we know that powder is gonna be our future hero direct to consumer product, let's invest in it. And we had some massive breakthroughs um, and about three months ago had the breakthrough we needed to be able to scale this powder as much as we want. We can turn any milk into a powder Um, And so we have some really cool products coming out in April, but we're launching a super oat powder and then another version of our almond powder.
0: Amazing. Amazing. By the way, being able to innovate across ambient, frozen, fresh, that's really impressive. So, yeah.
1: Thank you. We're excited about it. Um, And I think it gives us you know the, the plant-based category is really exciting and really noisy right now and I, I think we stand out for a lot of reasons but there's absolutely no innovation happening in formats um so that is that's one place where it's really easy well, to stand out well,
0: what tips would you give because obviously pandemic probably affected the food service and b2b it's going to come back yeah. um what about like I, I feel like there's this common theme of like Investors getting really excited about D2C because they look at Warby Parker and Casper, and obviously a food and beverage brand's gotta work on Amazon or on direct to consumer. But what are your thoughts? Um, what tips would you give to founders who like I, I just feel like so many brands are being forced to be perceived as direct-to-consumer businesses that just shouldn't be? Like for us, yeah, our loyalists like we'll sell ice cream online, but that's not our business. Right. right? So we've taken a very strong approach on that. It's instead of like trying to sell to investors, like, yeah, we're going to be the daily harvest of ice cream, which we thought we were when you received your package in 2017 or 18. Um, what tips would you say? Because it seems like you found a format that makes sense, but do you agree that you think sometimes brands are forcing a D to C play when it might not even be necessary?
1: Absolutely. 100%. And, you know, we're, um I'm in conversations right now for our, our seed round. So it, it's always interesting. I would say number one, if you're a founder or thinking about being a founder, don't go to investors for advice. Um, go to other founders, because um, that's where you're gonna get the, the real information, the people who've been in it, been in the weeds. And for us, the difficult thing we, we have these two sides, right? Investors who like really get it or investors who don't and ask a shit ton of questions and the dumbest questions that you're never going to have a good answer for. Um, and the v- investors that get it, it's a, it's a small pool. Um, for us, going out as a B2B heavy product doesn't make sense to a lot of investors because they've never, they've never seen it. Um, however, we know the numbers. We know the fact that we're able to um, have a really low marketing cost and still have have build some clout in that category. We know we're able to great great partners. We know all it's done for us, but investors are just really uncomfortable. And so for us, it's two things: it's investors pre COVID, investors pushing for direct to consumer, and now in these conversations we have direct to consumer. It's doing well. It's never going to be our biggest channel. We think it's important for brand awareness, story awareness, community. Um, you know, before we really push into retail, but most investors when they see plant-based milk they want to hear about all the grocery doors you're in um and for us that's just that's just not our plan we have a really what we think is a really solid plan that makes sense it might not be the typical playbook um but we're going for longevity we're going for profitability we're um you know we're looking to win in in this category long term we're not looking to just be a flash in the pan and like cross our fingers and hope that it works out and throw a ton of dollars at things. So, you know, groceries, incredibly expensive, especially it's one thing you're doing ice cream in the freezer section. It's another thing when you're doing plant-based milk in the freezer section when no one's ever gone to the freezer to buy plant-based milk before. Um,
0: But also like, I think that's your biggest opportunity, right? So like we're in a sea of pints and everyone launching a novelty and you know, it's, I will say, like, when people see your product, A, you've built all the brand equity D to C and in B to B. And now it makes a lot of sense when, oh, yeah, I bought the good milk creamer powder um, on Amazon or online. This makes sense. I'm going to buy it in the frozen section. But I, I fully hear what you're saying. And it, I just feel like founders trying to, pursue strategies that are in vogue like I remember a lot of D2c food and beverage companies that I won't name that like were really hot four or five years ago that are non-existent and irrelevant right now what and no one's talking about it
1: no I mean the, the, the one letters I've heard out of investors mouths you just realize that they don't have to think about the consequences they don't have the weight on their shoulders that we do they don't have they're not the ones for the money you know we we've heard you should raise 10 million dollars over and over we've heard you need these these you need a coo hire that's come from a major food company that would obviously have no idea how to run a business at our stage um you know we've heard co- comparisons of like brands that started that launched working with red antler and now they have this x in revenue in three months like yeah, yeah without
0: the x amount of revenue they're spending on paid acquisition and How much
1: to get there so i think when it comes to investors you have to find the people that are one some somewhat like-minded but also just trust your vision trust the team um and understand that you know you can have you know this you can have as great of a laid out plan as you want for the next year three years it's not going to happen that way <laughs> um mostly 10, and,
0: 15, 20 is what you're yeah, just a real yeah.
1: what you need is you just need to have, as an investor, I think you just need to have confidence that this founder, this team, no matter what happens, they're going to pivot, adjust to make sure that they're thriving or doing their best. And, you know, I think so many investors get caught up in the details. Well, why was three months ago, why was this number lower versus this month? And it's like, if you don't get the vision and the big picture of where we're going, like.
0: No, and paid, that's the thing that scares me the most about paid acquisition is one channel, one social platform might have a ton of arbitrage in May, and then it's, you know, it's December and things shift so fast. Um, That's why retail excites me because at least you've seasonality, but every week, customers, traffic, people coming in. Um, At any rate, I I fully agree with everything you're saying, Brooke.
1: And that's why we that B2B channel makes sense for us. It doesn't make sense for every Alt Dairy company. It makes sense for us because our product works really well with coffee. Thank God. Um, but yeah, you know, B2B, you sell in, there's no ad fees, there's no buybacks, there's no discounts. Um, you don't need a sales team. You don't need a merchandise. I mean, you need a sales team to sell in, but that's all yeah. they have to do. Um, it's just a channel that makes a ton of sense if you can make it work. Um, you know, if you if you have a product that performs well or can stand out in that channel.
0: So what does, as a great segue, what does the future of good milk look like? And, you know, uh, what what, three, five, ten years, what do you really hope to accomplish and, and build, um, you know, over that time?
1: Yeah, you know, I think going back to what I said in the beginning, I do think there's this, you know, I like what you call it, the the real food wave. It's coming and it's coming quickly. And I think COVID has expedited consumers' demand for for this wave. And we want to be the a leader, if not the leader in plant-based milks, plant-based milks and creamers in that space. And that kind of goes back to the the underlying goal for me personally, as a founder is I, I want to help people feel empowered in the most important decision they're making every day, whether they know it or not. And it, which is what they feed themselves and what they feed their family. There's nothing else that has like a bigger, you know, as long as you have shelter, over your head, there's nothing else that has a bigger impact in how you feel, what you do, what you're able to accomplish in the world, the impact on your kids and their future um, than what you self with, based or not. Um, and so, you know, we just want to share that message with as many people as possible and give them an easy accessible option. And so the the investor side of that conversation is we we want to be a massive company in order to do that.
0: I think what people forget about food and beverage is like, it's one of the most intimate relationships you have with a customer. Like we have the opportunity to touch millions of people's lives every single day globally and brand and clean products and, you know, just what's happening with content and, or and the ability to reach people in ways that before required tons of capital. It's, I think it's the golden era of this space. There's a, a lot of money that can ruin, you know, certain brands and, you know, can, can also, uh, create issues for upstarts like me and you. But, um, look, I, I know you guys are accomplishing it and I'm, I'm a huge fan. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. So
1: thank you. I 100% agree with that. And when you will believe in that statement and that statement is absolutely true, then how fucked up, excuse my language, yeah, all good. <laughs> how fucked up is it to be a founder or a head of a company and make the decision in the opposite direction of what, you, what you and I are making and saying, cool, I I have this power to impact people in either a positive or or a negative way. Yet, I'm gonna choose the negative way because it's cheaper, I need to cut corners, I need to hit certain numbers. Um,
0: Investors pressure you to make the wrong long-term decision because it makes financial sense. Add back in X ingredient, no problem. High fructose corn syrup, not a big deal, everyone else is doing it, fine. Small compromises that didn't change the entire reason of why we even started.
1: Yeah. Yep. Oh. And that's why it's so important as small businesses to be strategic early days and don't take investor money until you absolutely have to be smart about who your partners are and prove out what you need to prove out so that they trust you um, and will let you continue with your vision. And that's what's so scary and exciting um, about this time, you know?
0: Yep. Yep. It's amazing. I was going to ask, what do you recommend founders do or people who want to come into the space? But you already you beat me to it. And that's spot on. So um, Brooke, you're amazing. Thank you so much, really inspiring story. And, and anyone, check out Good Milk's products in the frozen aisle, uh, incredible. I have a bunch in my freezer and uh, also online. Any other new products you wanna share? Where, where, where should we find you?
1: Yeah, so right now the best place to find all of our products is on our web- website, goodmilk, G-O-O-D-M-Y-L-K dot C-O. Um, You can get them delivered to your door anywhere in the U.S., which has been really fun to see. Literally, we're going to every state except for North Dakota. So if you are in North Dakota, DM us, and we will (laughs) get you a massive discount because I really want to hit that state. Um, So that's the best way to see all of our products. We have a really cool product launch coming up in April, so you can stay tuned with that um, on our Instagram at Good Milk Co.
0: Amazing. We'll we'll stay tuned. Thanks again for joining us Friday, and uh, have a great weekend.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.